This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Protect Help Give. I'm so excited. A good friend of mine is joining me today. I've been chasing him down. Growing up in a small Colorado town, Jason has always taken a blue-collar, hard-working approach to every business venture he's done. From his first sales job selling workout equipment over the phone to managing large nationwide sales teams, he brings a simplistic approach to recruiting and training. Most people know Jason will tell you he is a great presenter and a storyteller, one of the best. But more than the successes he's achieved in business, he feels his greatest accomplishment is convincing a girl way out of his league to marry him and most proud achievement is raising three incredible boys. Well, there's no doubt about that. You definitely outkicked your coverage, brother. How's it going? You know, I'm going to have to ask my wife about that bio that she wrote. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that part's definitely true. And I think it applies to you as well, man. Yeah, there's no doubt. We are very, very blessed human beings to have these ladies in our life. One of the things you mentioned in there, and you're such a humble guy, so you don't talk about all of the things that you've done and you've led so many teams, but you said something I love, which is the simplistic style that you bring to recruiting and training. I guess I'll just dive right in with that. You have this knack to get people to do things in the most simple manner possible. Where does that come from? Gosh, you know, I I mean, I wish I could tell you exactly where that comes from. I think just ever since I, I got into sales and obviously managing teams and recruiting, I just, I gravitated towards simplicity and saying, okay, look, let's, let's dummy this thing down to a second grade level where first of all, I can actually learn it, right? Because if it's too complex and there's too many moving parts, dude, I'm just not going to be good at it. Um, unfortunately. And I wish that was different, but I, I look at um, some of the training pieces that I've seen and, people put together and not, not unique to appreciation financial, but anywhere. And I'm like, Holy cow, explain to me how I can read this thing and then come out on the other end and apply this stuff. You know, it just, that, that type of thing never worked for me. So I said, okay, listen, tell me what I need to say, who I need to say it to. And when they ask me this, what do I say then? And, and when they're ready to go, how do I submit the paperwork? You know, and, and, uh, so just everywhere I've gone, I've kind of taken that that same thought process, and it was no different when we came over here. It was, you know, there was a lot of moving parts, as you know, when we came on board six years ago. And so it was a matter of saying, okay, how can, first of all, I simplify this thing to, to learn it myself, and then again, probably even simplify it further to, to teach others. Yeah. And you've been doing this, like you said, for a long time, not necessarily just appreciation, but my goodness, some of the sales teams you have led are massive. And I would love to just, you are an amazing storyteller. Truly, I I cry laughing most of the time when I'm listening to Jay talk, but I want you to take people kind of through your journey to this point in that concise manner that you can make. um, Because I think it's interesting. I think it's definitely brings some levity to the value that you and your business partner, Matt, have always brought to the table? Gosh, where to start, man? I uh, I guess I'll just kind of tell my story of, you know, my background and what got me into sales and what attracted me to building teams and managing organizations. You know, I grew up in a, a small town in Colorado, blue collar family, blue collar work ethic, 
Um, my background's super intimidating, you know, construction, manual labor type, odd jobs, right? And uh, when I graduated high school, you know, obviously knowing I was going to go to college, uh, the summer before I went to school, got a job on a fire crew, right? Fighting forest fires with 20 of my buddies traveling around the country. And you think, okay, fighting forest fires, that sounds pretty cool. Holding a hose and all this, the glory you see on uh, TV, it wasn't. It's, you're a mile away from it, digging a ditch, right? Or, or going in a, a mile behind the fire, putting out, digging out tree stumps. So again, just, just more manual labor. And when I'm in school, I would go home every summer. I got into the railroad industry and I was my first year pounding spikes and changing ties. And then I got a job up the next year up in the, the engine, the steam engine. So I was shoveling, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 tons of coal every day. And it was just hard work. And I always said that with my summer weight loss program. <laughs> but, you know, you would hear, you've heard the old saying, hey, if you want to know where you're going to be 10 years from now, look at somebody who's been doing this 10 years longer than you. And there were, there were guys that were shoveling coal right beside me that had been there 20 years longer than me. And they were maybe making a couple bucks more an hour, but I did those jobs just long enough to know that that's not what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, um, I've never been one of those guys that knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, some some people like Chris Reed will tell you from the time he was 17, he knew he wanted to be a life insurance salesman, right? Well, that just wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't know. I, it, people say, hey, well, what do you like to do? Well, what I like to do doesn't have anything to do with earning money and, and, uh, you know, in, in college, after you, by your junior year, they make you pick a major, right? And I remember sitting in the counselor's office, J.M., just, just as plain as yesterday, and she's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> I'm like, if I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here with you, and you're the counselor. Counsel me. Tell me, you know? And so I said, what's the closest, shortest route to graduation for me? And she said, well, Spanish. <laughs> so I'm like, well... She goes, why don't you do a Spanish business dual major? You'll have a lot of options then. You know, so that's what I did. I graduated, um, bachelor's degree, you know, I think six years. Never quite understood those people that wanted to leave college after three and a half, four years and, and enter the workforce. So anyway, um, but, but what, of course, I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so guess what I went back to? Railroading. So I got a job at a railroad up in Alaska, which was an incredible adventure. I worked up there for two years. It was, it was amazing. But again, looking at people that were doing it 20 years longer than I have, and it's, and, and up there it's a union deal. So we were literally making the exact same wage. And man, after a couple of years, I'm like, gosh, this is not what I want to do. And um, getting into sales, honestly, I just, I kind of fell into it, fell into, to, to selling, I think like in my intro, I, when I was in school, a buddy of mine worked in a call store selling exercise equipment over the phone. He's like, dude, your, your personality, you'll do great. So I went in there and just every week out of 40, 50 salespeople, I was always number one or number two. And so was making more money in, in a three hour sales session than I was making in a week with manual labor. And so Again, just kind of fell into a few sales jobs here and there. And, and, and one company I was with, JM, they paid a referral override, okay? It wasn't a network marketing or anything like that, but they said, hey, listen, we believe our, 
our best salespeople usually know other good salespeople. And they said, for every person you bring in, every sale they make, we'll pay you this X amount. And I'm like, geez, I knew five, six guys that would fit perfectly into what we do. And we were traveling the country, going to colleges, selling, talking to, to graduating college kids and selling these programs. And so pretty soon I had almost the entire sales force were people that I introduced personally. So I was making as much in these overrides as I was with my personal sales. And from that point forward, I just knew, gosh, the, you know, because you can read in books, all oh, the power of other people's efforts and everything, but it never really hit home until I was receiving a paycheck for other people's sales. And from that point forward, every opportunity and company I've been with, I've just always uh, looked at what the opportunity was with my own pen, but also what it was by building a team and managing an organization and helping them become successful then in turn would make me more successful. So yeah, it's one thing. Long story, long, long answer to that question. I apologize. No, brother. It's, it's fascinating. You could talk for hours and you know, you have at least one audience member that'll enjoy it. That's me. I love it. So, (laughs) um, specific to you always take an experience from a previous job occupation and you apply it to today's world. So one of the things in the intro, as you said, taking that blue collar work ethic, when you apply that in the white collar world, that is just gold. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that gets missed sometimes when people are like, what does that mean? And I know what it means. I think I know what you're saying, but I want you to explain that because it is truly that that is how you have explosive growth. I, I think when, when somebody says to me, blue collar work ethic, it. I just think back to, okay, I'm standing there. I've got, I have to shovel 12 tons of coal. And the the harder I go, the faster I go, the, you know, the better job I'm going to do, the quicker I'm going to be done, the more productive I can be. And so when I think of blue collar work ethic, I think, Hey, you and I are playing on even playing ground. But if I do twice the the work that you do, I'm going to have twice the production. I'm going to sell more. Right. And so it, I've always believed, and we use that in training here, is the only two things you can control are your attitude and your effort, right? And, you know, sometimes attitude is is tough to control with outside factors and not being able to control how other people, uh, you know, react. But one thing you can always control is your effort. I, especially at appreciation, you can control your activity. You can truly control how many appointments you're going to run. And, it is, I can tell you, I've probably sat in thousands of sales meetings in my career. And I would tell you 98% of the time, the person that made the most sales had the most what? <laughs> Appointments. It's just no secret to it. And occasionally somebody will have more volume because they, they hit a big appointment or whatever. But, but almost every time, the person who accomplishes the most is the person that had the most activity. And so in my mind, I, I just think that's what it boiled down to. And, and even when it comes to team building, right, I'm, we all have the same opportunity to grow and recruit and, and duplicate our efforts in a team. But if I can, if I can get, you know, my, my recruiting presentation or if I can cast a wider net and I spend talking to more prospects, I'm going to grow faster than the person that isn't doing those extra things. 
Well, you just said something that we got to talk about, which it means casting a wider net. One of the things that, again, you, Matt Lovelady and Jason Brown are partners, for those of you that aren't familiar with them personally, some of the best recruiters in the country and evidence both in our company and their previous company. But talk about casting a wider net, because that's one thing I think so often people get almost pigeonholed to one recruiting effort and that's just not where it's at. So can you talk about casting that wider net? Yeah. And I, you know, you brought up my partnership with Matt, which remind me just, I want to talk about a partnership for a minute and I'll, I'll answer your question first, but then let's jump back over to, because I'm sure like you, you're in a partnership and you've had successful partnerships and some that didn't work out as have I. And so I get approached about once a week by people saying, Hey, I want to partner with him or her. And I usually I kind of cringe when I hear that. And uh, so let's talk about that in a second. But casting a wide net recruiting, the, the short answer to that is all of the above. When people say, well, hey, what's the most effective strategy? All of the above. Everything. Okay. Talk to people that you know. Talk to warm market. That's still the most effective way to get great people that stick in this business is your warm market. More people you know. Um, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts. I want to say it was Sherry Martin, where her whole thing was don't be a secret agent, right? Get, let people know what you do and how it's going. And and those are those are usually the people that you work closest with. Okay. But do we run ads? Well, sure. Where do we run ads? All of the above. <laughs> okay. I have people say, well, okay, is it is it best to run it on Craigslist or do you do this or do you do this? Yes, we, we do. We do we do all of those. Okay. Do um do I talk to our agents in our team and say, hey, the, the organization you were at, if you had to give me the top four people that you think would be a good fit here, let me have their names and let's call them together, right? Because those people aren't looking. Sometimes your best recruits are the people that are doing well where they're at, right? When you run an ad, who answers that ad? Okay, if I put an ad on Craigslist and it says, oh my gosh, this is this, this, who's on Craigslist looking for the opportunity? It's the people that, and again, don't take that wrong. It's not a bad thing. We recruit many, many people off of running ads like that, but they're people that don't have anything going on right now, right? where sometimes the people we want are the ones who are being, you know, successful, growing teams, recruiting, producing in other companies. And so we, we have to kind of figure, get creative in our recruiting. And we, we've gone the extra mile and we've hired a few full-time uh, outbound callers and that's what they do. They call. So we've put up some money to pay for those resources, you know, recruiting, Again, warm market recruiting doesn't cost anything. That's why I'm so such a big proponent of that. And we do it and we help our team warm market recruit. But cold market recruiting, you it's expensive because it costs to buy lists and to buy advertising and pay our people to be on the phones. And, and you also have to go through so many more people to find a good fit, right? You may have to go, you may, you may end up recruiting 15 to 20 people before you find that one or two people that really stick and thrive in our environment and culture. 
So I will let you get back to the partnership thing, but I got to ask a question specifically with recruiting because one of the things that you guys do such a good job of, people don't feel like they're being sold. You cast a vision, you cast, um, you know, you talk about their pain points and you talk about, but I've never seen anybody ever like irritated or bothered by you recruiting. And you and I share recruiting was always an awesome experience, right? Like I love recruiting, but I'm curious if there's a philosophy because you have this nature about you where you, you feel great when you're being recruited by yourself or Matt, it's, it's a good feeling. I appreciate that. And I think, um, you know, it's about the mindset that you have when you're going into recruiting you know, I read in a, a, a book or a manual, I, I, honestly, it's been so many years ago, but every now and then you you hear a nugget, right, that stays with you and you apply it to your business. And it, it not only is business changing, but sometimes it's life changing. And what, what was presented to me one time was, li- listen to this, I'm going to sit down with somebody and I'm going to say, oh, man, I hope, I hope they like me. I hope they like my business. I'm going to do everything I can to sell them on what we're doing. And I think 95% of the people recruiting right now, that's what they do, right? If I was going to go sit down with somebody, oh my gosh, I, oh, I'm i nervous. I got to present our comp plan great. I got to present our pair as our activity. I, I have to do our training. Okay. Well, what if you just reverse that mindset? And when you're going to sit down with that person, you said, I wonder if I'm going to like them (laughs) instead of, I hope they like me. I wonder if I'm going to like them. I wonder if they're going to be a good fit for our company instead of how can our, how can I show them that our company's a good fit for them and desperation and me trying to sell them on the opportunity. It's more, Hey, I wonder if they're going to be able to show me they're a good opportunity. They're, they're a good fit for our company. So Honestly, Jam, it's just that tweak in mindset of, you know, in the dating world, right? Back back 20 years ago, right? You're dating instead of being like, oh my gosh, I hope this girl likes me. It's, well, what if, I wonder if I'm going to like this girl, right? All of a sudden, it's just, a, it's, it puts you in the driver's seat. And so even, even the guys that are on the phone with us, we, we know we have the deal. And so once you believe that, I think that's a huge piece of it is be confident that we have the deal. We have the golden goose here. Guys, look what's happened. Look what's happened in the world and in our industry in the last six to eight months, right? Companies that were huge players have, if they're even still around, they've, 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 uh, you know, seen 80% drop-offs. Well, what's happened with us? We've been able to thrive in this environment. And so get it in your head that we're the deal. We are truly the deal. Um, and so you have that confidence. Now, again, it goes back to casting a large net. If I've only got one prospect and that prospect doesn't work out, oh man, I'm crushed. But if I've got 10 prospects and I can go in with that mentality and that attitude. First of all, they're going to want to be a part of it when I, when I have that posturing. Um, but, but secondly, I don't want them all. I'm going to take three at most of those 10. And those seven, maybe down the road, we're a good fit. 
but we can't be afraid to say, hey, listen, it doesn't look like we're a good fit for you right now. Why don't we touch, why don't we circle the wagons here in another six months? And I'm telling you, they call you back. They call you back because they're like, gosh, I was just real impressed with your company, like what you guys are doing. And uh, I think right now might be a better time to revisit this. And of course, our response is, well, let's talk a bit. It is an okay, great. Oh, man, I'm so excited. You know, we have the keys to the kingdom here. And if you believe that, recruiting becomes a whole different conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't want, I don't know if it's a takeaway, but it is a, a mentality switch. And it is interesting hearing you say that. So I do want to get back. You mentioned the partnership and it, I'm curious where you're going with that because as we have openly talked about partnerships are not easy. This is truly, I mean, it's a marriage, if you will. I mean, you know, you and Matt are till death do you part. So let's talk about more than, you know, man. (laughs) (laughs) No. And and honestly, I've, Prior to this call, I really didn't even think about that the conversation was going to go here. But as you brought up our partnership, I'm like, you know, maybe that's probably a good thing to cover because I get so many calls out, you know, telling me they're going to partner here or there. They're, they're going to do this. And um, I, I think, especially with with mine and Matt's partnership, what one of the things that makes it work is we both have our lanes, right? We he has his lane and I have my lane and he. He has a different set of skills than I do. He has a different vision than I do. And I, I think we see the opportunity from different levels. And um, Matt sees things from extremely high level. You know, he's at the 5,000 foot uh, view looking down and he says, hey, oh man, look, we have this, we have this, we have this. These are the pieces that make a great opportunity. We're going to go to 10,000 agents. Well, guess what my role is? Okay, the rubber has to meet the road at some point. And so I say, hey, listen, tell me what you think, why you think that. And I say, okay, now it's the how. How are we going to get there? What are the presentations we're going to use? How are we, what's our hook on that net that gets people in to take a look at it? And so we just kind of have our roles and, you know, we, we stay in our lanes and do, don't get, don't, don't think we don't have disagreements. I, I mean, the other day it about got ugly and he, he better hope that never happens, but um, <laughs> no, but it, it, you do, you just have to give and take and both of you have to realize, you know, that's why typically it's t- two people that are just great producers. Don't make good partners. Right. Because there's a lot of the things than just producing, they have the same set of skills. And so People have to, you have to mesh and partner with somebody that has different skills than you have and where your strength lies here and my strength lies in certain areas. Matt's not good at some of the things that I'm good at and vice versa. You know, I, Matt, Matt has a set of skills and vision that I don't have. And so all too often I'm relying on him for a lot of those things. And, and of course he'll come in here and go, Hey man, here's what we're going to do. Just so you can figure out how to do it. <laughs> and so that's kind of my role, right? Yeah, it is, it is, you know, fun to watch because the execution part, again, any, any partnership, somebody has got to have that vision, but then the execution part comes in and that's certainly what you've always done. I got to just change for a second, just because I think this is so applicable 
both to selling and recruiting. You truly are a gifted storyteller. I mean, I put you up with uh, anybody that I've ever been around personally. Is that something that you learned? And this may be an odd question, but do you really craft a story before you tell it? And here's why I ask that. In sales, you use it a lot. In recruiting, you use it a lot. But a story can absolutely help you or you went way too long and you lost them. So I'm curious, brother, is this something that you worked on or were you just gifted with this skill? So, yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and uh, you know, I, I do believe there's some people that it comes natural for and whether I'm one of those or not, I, you know, but it, there's no doubt that repetition and practice make it effective. Believe me, I have told stories that ran on too long and, and you can tell, right? You can tell if it's, if it's being affected. I just, it happens almost every day. Jen will go, my wife will go, who are you talking to? <laughs> Cause I'm sitting there and I, I will play conversations in my head of what I'm going to say to someone, or I will, I will be thinking ahead of a story or a conversation that I'm going to have with someone and I'm running through in my head what I'm going to say. And that may sound super weird. Hopefully somebody that's listening to this is nodding their head going, I do the same thing. But my wife all the time, in fact, literally yesterday or day before, we're sitting there. My son's about to be picked up for carpool, my oldest boy. And I'm on the couch and, and she, I'm going through a conversation that I'm going to have with somebody. And I don't even remember what it was. And I am evidently moving my lips and actually talking almost at a whisper, but she's like, who are you talking to? And of course I'm like, Oh, nobody. And she wants me to tell her. And I'm like, nothing. It's, it's a conversation I'm going to have today at two (laughs) o'clock. And, um, you know, I do, I think, um, uh, stories sometimes off the cuff is, is, is good. Right. But the more you tell it, I do think the smoother a story will get. So there's no doubt. I think becoming a good speaker, becoming a good speaker is truly about practice and repetition. And I mentioned I had that job in my twenties where I was traveling around to colleges and giving these presentations to college kids that were, you know, juniors and seniors. Well, that, I gave the same presentation. It was about a 35 to 40 minute presentation. I gave it three times a day, six days a week for five years, right? And I perfected not only that presentation, but, and it was in front of groups of anywhere from five to 25 people, but I perfected just the way that I talked about things and the voice inflections and eye contact and you know, all too often you see someone's a good speaker, but they're focused on one person in the group, right? And they don't look at anybody else in the room. And so I'm, I'm, I was, I really had to be conscious of including everybody in that story or that, that speech that I was giving. And again, hand movements and walking across the room and where to stand. I mean, I just felt like I, I really just perfected that presentation and that's bled over into companies that I've worked with since. And so yeah, you know, a good story is a good story. Sometimes, some, sometimes the story is so good that you can't screw it up. Um, and I'm sure you, you could bring up a few of those. But at the same time, yeah, I, I guess I do. I, I tell the same story over and over again. And, and uh, the more you tell it, you, you refine it. And uh, um, 
That's a good question. I do. I do. I practice a lot and I, I'm always thinking about what I'm going to say to somebody. When we, when we first came on with appreciation, Rich Smith, right? Your old business partner. He flew out here. He taught us how to do a first appointment and a second appointment. And then he hopped on a plane and went home. I never actually got to see one. Okay. I never, so we did a luncheon. We set 51 appointments, my brother and I, <laughs> and and so here we are, rubber had to meet the road, right? I had to run those first appointments. I'd never seen one. So guess what I did? I practiced it. I practiced over and over and over. I had my wife listen. I practiced with Matt. I practiced with my brother who was an aide coming on as an agent at the same time. And when I gave my first appointment, I promise you that guy did not know that was my first appointment. Because it went great, because it really wasn't. I'd given it 35 times before I sat down with him. I recorded myself. I listened to it. Well, it was time to give a second appointment. Well, guess what I did? I'd never seen one. So I practiced it, and I practiced it. And I, I went through all the paperwork over and over and over and over and over again until I had it perfect. And then when I gave the second appointment, they didn't know that was my first time ever giving it, for sure. Yeah, there's one more thing that is always a pattern or a commonality with all of your talks, and that is you include humor, right? It's it's just a part of it. And I don't know if that's just your personality, which I think it is, but humor is a big part of what you bring to the table. People, I've never met somebody that didn't have a good time being around you. And what I mean, the the reason I bring this up is, is that by design or is that just, I'm just curious. I mean, this is just me literally asking you a question because you always have a smile and a chuckle going along with your story, which makes the audience go right in, in line with you. So is that by design as well? You know, I think so. And I, I don't know if it started out that way. I think almost initially, if you can get somebody laughing, especially if it's in a group setting, then it, it puts you more at ease as well. Right. And so growing up in Colorado, the, the church that we went to, every Sunday, they had a youth speaker, okay? And I did not like doing it. But first of all, in that, in that time slot that we went to church, there was only about six kids, right? So about two, three times a year, it landed on, on me to be the speaker. And some kids would get up there, and their head would be down, and they would have their piece of paper, they would never look up and they would read exactly what they or their parents wrote. My mom would not do that. Okay. We would have to prepare a talk. And now these were only three, two to three minute talks, but she made us memorize it. Right. I had to stand up. Now this is in front of a congregation of a few hundred people and I'm seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and having to give this speech. And and I remember her just saying, hey, listen, what's your icebreaker? Have an icebreaker where you can get up and say something that's either funny or a story or something that is the icebreaker. And if, if you got some kind of response, a laugh, all of a sudden it puts you at ease too. And it just became easier. And so, you know, I do. I think, I think if you can kind of crack a little joke or, or something in the beginning, one that comes to mind is at the National Convention this year. I, I don't know if you remember mine and Chris Reed's speaking part, but we decided, now who decided this, I don't know, but we were supposed to speak together. 
I think we had like 40 minutes total. Well, he was going to go for 20 minutes and I was going to go for 20 minutes. So the first 20 minutes, <laughs> I literally stood there with my arms folded on stage while Chris spoke. And it was awkward. I'm not going to lie. I'm standing there for 20 minutes and I see people looking at me, right? I'm like, people are looking at me going, what is this guy even doing up here? Because Chris is going for 20 minutes. And so Chris tells the story of this this. Uh, Xerox copy salesman that comes in and there's this awkward situation because he's the sales guy. So then it just hit me right when it was my turn to talk. I said, yeah, Chris told you about an awkward situation. Stand, Try standing up here for 20 minutes while, uh, while everybody's staring at you. And as soon as that happened, everybody laughed because it was real. Everybody was looking at me going, wow, this is awkward. And then, then the speech went great, right? So just that, that I think uh, a little bit of comic um, comedy added in there or a story that has people laughing a little bit, especially if you can, if you can tie it in with your topic, right? I know the old scripts. We always, we even had the ha ha after, I mean, I know (laughs) scripts. I know you had them too. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because one of the things that you and Matt have really pioneered is empower and really tackling debt. So you are one of the founders of empower America. So let's talk about it, man. How is that going? What's the vision and how can we best serve our clients? Because I don't think that's shrinking right now. Unfortunately with COVID and whatnot, I think it may have grown a touch. So what's kind of the vision, brother? You know, you, you, again, you brought up Matt and part of our partnership, one of the things that he brings to the table is no fear to jump into a new venture, right? Like Matt at any given time will come in and go, well, we're starting a, uh, this company. Well, we're doing this. And, you know, um, I, I have a saying in my office, it's, it's actually by Babe Ruth. And it says, you know, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. And I think a lot of us have that fear, right? Oh, the fear of trying a new venture. And Matt doesn't have that fear. So the fear, the, the quote was, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game, right? And so Matt is one of these guys that, you know, he'll walk in and go, hey, we're going to start this company. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And where a lot of people are like, oh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would venture out and go that route. Or, um, so what I was saying is, is years ago, Matt said, Hey, let's, let's start this debt company. And it, um, because we, from 2006 to about 2010, we had a a pretty good run in the debt space, right? The the stars aligned and we did something special recruited close to a hundred thousand agents across the country and just had an incredible, incredible run with a debt product. And so that kind of gave us that passion and of helping people get out of debt. But I'll tell you what else it did is it, is it made us realize how attractive getting out of debt is for people. Okay. Like literally people have that dream. And when they, they can picture, wow, no debt, you know, instead of making $500 a month, what if we reduced your debt and saved you $500 a month? That's the same thing, right? It, it, it affects your, your, your positive cash flow by $500. So when we started putting together the Empowering America platform and we put debt assumption on there and we were talking with several debt settlement companies and debt validation companies looking at the the um, federal student loan programs, it wasn't quite ready yet, right? It wasn't quite ready yet. And we were just kind of putting the moving parts together. 
And I'll never forget, we were at a meeting. You were there. We were at a meeting out in Pittsburgh. And Terry said, hey, guys, we're all going to go meet up in JM Suite, I think. And we all sit in there. I didn't even know. And all of a sudden, he goes, hey, Jason and Matt been working on this dev platform, guys, we're going to move forward with. <laughs> and we were like, oh, goodness, really? Well, yeah, we're excited about it. And these, we have these concepts in place. But so we did have to kind of uh, build the airport plane in the air, you know, as the saying goes. And we we brought on some great people in Jeremy and Bruce and Doug and some of the team and and it's it if especially if some appreciation agents maybe maybe early on dipped their toe in the water and it was not a smooth process because I'm sure that happened right back then you had to fill out a whole debt questionnaire with the client and you know, it was a pretty tedious process. I hope that people will revisit it because it's such a phenomenal thing to do for the client. Number one, you free up premium dollars, right? You you basically cut their debt payment in half. If somebody's paying $1,000 a month on their credit cards or hospital bills or private student loans, we're going to reduce that down to $500 typically, or maybe even a little more. And so, you know, does it pay some commissions? Yeah, pays about like an annuity, right? Right around 5% into the grid of the gross debt amount. Um, but the main thing is it frees up that 500 bucks or that $700 or whatever amount that frees up. So hopefully everybody will kind of um, really revisit Empowering America if they haven't already because the ducks are in a row now, right? Now all you have to do is call call 877-EMPIRE-5. You get on the phone with a, uh, with a qualifying specialist and your job's done. That's it. You can stay on the phone if you'd like and listen to them go through with your client and ask them what type of debt they have and which strategy they're going to apply. But now all you have to do is be the bird dog, right? And so we, we when I say we, you know, we've had a lot of help doing this. And so I'm by, by no means taking credit for what everybody has done as a team, but we've done a good job of making it more user-friendly to the agents, agent-friendly. And of course, the client now, the client is just treated with kid gloves, has a great experience. And so we're excited, really excited about what the debt can do for everybody's business. And I said this from day one, when we were at the convention, JM, I said, honestly, once you understand the power of this, this will truly move the needle more in your business than anything else you can add to uh, to what you're doing currently. Yeah, that is amazing how much you free up and and what that so alleviating the debt is incredible. Don't get me wrong, and that is huge for the client. But again, if you agents are sitting there, life insurance is sitting there. I mean, it's just literally it's it's if Babe Ruth was at bad, I mean, he's knocking it out of the park. It's right sitting there. It's a big softball. Someone that's been as successful in growing teams and in sales, uh, I think this will be an applicable question. When you, and as an athlete, a good athlete, um, shoot, one of the best golfers I know. No, but when it comes to failure, Jay. (laughs) You must not know many golfers. (laughs) When it comes to failure, brother, what is your philosophy or your process? Because it's like nothing ever bothers you. And I know I've seen you go through hardships. I've been a part of them, but yet it never gets in your way 
and never squishes or squashes your enthusiasm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny you, you bring up sports because my, my three boys, I have three boys and they're all in every sport right now, as I know your boys are too. And isn't it funny how your boys don't ever see you as an athlete, right? Like, <laughs> you know, we, and my wife was, it was an incredible athlete, division one uh, athlete. And, you know, when we talk to our boys about sports or this, they, yeah, what do you know? You, you know, you're an old guy, you, you know, they don't realize that we played, we played at a competitive level. Right. So uh, of course, things affect us. Right. I, I mean, we're just like anybody, but I think, I think um, the, the challenge is that we're professionals. You have to remember that. And I learned a long time ago in building an organization, one of my mentors, you know, and, and you guys have heard this too. It's, this isn't a new saying, but you know, the negativity flows up, not down, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't bring drama into the office. You, you have issues we have to remember this is our business and this is our livelihood. If I have something that's happened to me at home or, or whatever that is, you're not going to know it, right? I'm, unless maybe you and I open up on a personal level, which we have, and, and we've talked about issues and challenges in, the, in our lives and we kind of have, but, but guess what? If somebody else walked in the room that, during that conversation, what happened? Hey, how you doing, man? What's up? Oh, it, it, <clears throat> So it's just a matter of a, of, of a choice, JM. I think it's a choice of saying, hey, listen, I, I have the choice, again, attitude and effort. I have the choice of the attitude that I'm going to put forward. And so, dude, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I, I have an incredibly blessed life. And I know that every day. I am grateful for the successes that I've had in my life and my family and my kids. And it, it is truly incredible what the life that I have. And uh, it goes back to even as a childhood, I'm so grateful for the family that I had that I was raised by. And look, we had incredible challenges growing up, you know, financially was, was very tough as a kid, but always had as much love as anybody I knew, you know? And so in our, in our family. And so you, I think it's just a choice. I think you're going to decide what foot you have forward. We all have challenges. We all have issues. And, and the final answer to that question is I, I, oh, you there, we've all worked with that one person, or we all have that one friend who is just going to dump everything on you. Right. JM. And, and you're such a good listener, JM, that you probably get it. 10 times more than anybody else. Oh, JM, as soon as you say, hey, how you doing? Oh, let me tell you how I'm, and for the next hour, you're going, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I asked, right? It, it reminds me of that old, uh, I think it was like a Bud Light commercial where everybody walks into a bar, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And then one guy walks in, the bartender goes, how you doing? Well, let me tell you <laughs> You know, so I don't ever want to be that person that, you know, brings that and dumps, dumps our problems or issues on somebody else because they, they're dealing with their own things. And so um, I guess, in the, again, I, I feel like I'm constantly apologizing for these long answers. But, you know, number one is I don't have a ton of drama in my life. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed with successes and family and things like that. But the things that I do have, uh, you know, we, we have the the. Uh, 
the people that I would share those things with that maybe can give me some counsel. Um, but for the most part, we, we make a decision on how we want to be perceived, right? No, that's no doubt about it. I have so many ways I could go with this, but to finish this interview off, I'm going to give you speaker choice. What do you want to leave the audience with? Something I didn't ask you and you're like, damn it, I need to say this. So is there anything that you're just like, man, I got to <laughs> get this out to these guys? Dude, that's not how this goes. You're supposed to lead me in a direction. <laughs> I have about 50 no, listen, ways I, to go. I, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... You know, when you when you really step back and you look at our company, right, the people that are successful, that if you take a look at that leaderboard, that maybe that 10K club, but the recognition that gets sent out every month, why do you think it is that the same names are on it over and over and over and over again? And I think um, sometimes... Sometimes success is being at the right place at the right time. Like I, I am a firm believer that some of the opportunities that I've had and um, where I just happen to find the right opportunity at the right time. Okay. But you have to act on it just because you're placed in that spot, just because you find the opportunity at the right place at the right time. You know, back to that baseball analogy, just because you stepped in the batter's box at the right time you still have to swing, right? You still have to take action. I was listening, you know, I, as you know, I was a wrestler growing up and uh, one of the podcasts or I was listening to, to a podcast of uh, Terry Brands, who was a Olympic champion wrestler at, at University of Iowa. And he's telling this story of he, he won the Olympics, right? And then the next few years, he was trying to make a world team and he got beat. So he didn't qualify for the team, right? And he went home, and man, he was just obviously his world had come to an end. He just lost. He was, he was contemplating quitting and never doing that again. And and his dad basically says to him, "Well, you didn't earn it. <laughs> you got what you earned, and and somebody outworked you, right?" So. I just feel like, again, sometimes it's being at the right place, at the right time and the stars aligning and getting lucky. And so why I, again, snapping back to appreciation financial. Yeah. Sometimes people are one hit wonder on the leaderboard. You're going to see your name at the top two, top three, but it's no secret that, that, that the same people are on there week after week, after week, after week. And so when we came over to appreciation and maybe, maybe I'll leave you with this unless you want to, I got, I got plenty of time so we can stay on as long as you want. But um, when Matt came to me and said, look, I found this company, Appreciation Financial. They, they're in the schools, approved vendors, kind of explained the layout of appreciation. We went over the comp plan. And then uh, I got to meet, obviously, we knew you guys from, from previous business ventures and got to meet Terry and some of the top leadership. And it just all looked great. But then we sat down and we mapped out our road to success before we signed up. So I said, okay, look, we can bring these people on. We can, and I, I talked to agents that were producing and I said, Hey, on average, what, what's a week look like for you? And so after talking to maybe 20 different agents and saying, okay, if we bring people on that write two to three deals a week, and here's the average comp. And, and now we times that by three new agents a week, or, you know, and this is going to grow exponentially. We already knew JM how much we were going to make. So it wasn't 
fact of that, oh man, I hope this works. We already knew. We already knew what we were going to make. Now, we still had to do the work. We still had to make that production happen. We had to recruit the agents. We had to follow the plan. But we already knew what we were going to make. So it wasn't a surprise to us. You know, um, we, we, in fact, we haven't mapped out from here forward even. Okay, at what point do we hit our goal on a month, right? At, at what point are we making 100 grand a month in override or whatever that number might be? But it's already mapped out. And we, and we know if we follow the plan that it's going to be successful. You know, I listened to your podcast with Nathan Snar and he hit the 50K club a month or two ago. And he talks about another time a month or two prior, he almost did it and didn't. <laughs> Right. He made like 48, five or some crazy thing. Well, that's a pretty good month. It would be pretty easy to take your foot off the gas at, at that point. But guess what? A couple months later, he hit it. It's no secret. It's no accident. So, you know, when we're recruiting people, we want to we want to recruit those people that we could drop them off anywhere, anywhere in the country with any opportunity. They're going to be successful. And uh, so anyway, ho- hopefully that. No, no, I already know what the description of this podcast is going to be. You, you have to act on it. It's so true. It's, it's like the, one of the most profound statements. I, I love it. So Jay, if they don't know you personally, how can they connect with you? Whether it's online, uh, you know, just a way to get in touch with you. I was going to give Matt's cell phone number and say, call <laughs> me middle of the night. <laughs> um, easiest way is email Jay Brown at appreciationfinancial.com. And uh, again, anything, any resources we have, presentations we have recorded, we send out, I'll share any of that with anybody. Um, If you are an agent that wants, that's looking for people to train, let us know. We'll recruit folks for you and send them your way. Um, But yeah, probably, probably easiest way is just hit me with email and then, uh, then I'll give you a call. I appreciate it, brother. Truly. I, guys, I had to chase this guy down. It's been like four or five months trying to chase him down. He will be back, I promise, because I got a whole lot more we could go over. Man, I really appreciate your time today, Jay. You bring a lot of value to the table, and it's always fun. So I just appreciate you being on, man. Well, thanks for having me, buddy. And uh, tell Lisa I am sorry for not responding to those texts that were inviting me. <laughs> hey, you're a busy but guy. Hey, no real problem. quick, dude. Good luck in your move. Congratulations on everything you have going on. This podcast and and the Let's Go Win brand is awesome and uh, super happy for you. Appreciate it, man. I really do. All right, you guys, until next week, continue getting better every day. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Our goal is to help a lot of people create life-changing wealth and get better every day. For more information or comments, please reach me at jryerson at appreciationfinancial.com or connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Keep growing and we'll see you next time. This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson.